As a church family, uh, we really do attempt to love each other well. We attempt to celebrate each other, and we have grieved with each other more than once. And as a family um, today, we are sending two of our own off. And so we want to pray for them and appreciate them and love them in that way. Many of you, you guys know Cameron and Sarah Mahini. Cameron, how long have you, how long have you been at Crossing now? Four and a half years. Four, uh, working? Yeah. And then you attended here before with your dad and whatnot, right? In 2005. Yeah, in 2005. And then, Sarah, you guys got married. Oh, wait a minute. Let's, uh, when did you guys get married, Cam? May 2nd. What year? 2015. Is that right? Yep. Ooh, you're above average. <laughs> That's pretty good. Step on up. Step on up here. All right? Many of you guys know, uh, you heard Cameron share his testimony um, a couple weeks ago at the baptism service. It has always been his intention, as soon as he was free of some parameters on his life, that he would be able to move back to Florida. That's where he came from, and that's where Sarah's family is from. I suppose we'll see them back because Cameron's dad, Fareed, is here, and stepmom, Debbie, and his sister, Dana, is still here. So we'll see them back from time to time. And, um, and he says that. We'll wait and see how long it takes before he comes back up here. This is our way of loving you and of appreciating you, like entrusting you. Um, to the Father, who is the Father of all of us, as we are family together. There is nothing we can do to take care of you, and so we entrust you to him who's gonna, who loves you more than we do and who will take care of you far better than we can. This is how we want to send you off. Pray for you and love you. All right? Church, let's pray. <clears throat> Sit right there. Father, um, we commit these two to you, Cameron and Sarah, knowing that you love them far more than we do, knowing that you have great plans for their lives, that their lives and their testimony and their walk with you would be influential on the lives of others around them. And they already have been. And so we pray that you would just continue to do that. We know that's your plan for them, to continue to use your testimony in their lives to affect others. We commit them to you. We thank you for the time you have given them to us here at Crossing for the friendships we've shared, for the working relationship we've shared with Cameron, for the things we've learned from Cameron and Sarah, and we hope that they have learned things from us as well. We know that in this life we might not spend a lot of time together, but we know because of you and because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the kinship you place in us that we will spend eternity together. And that is a great and glorious thing. So today we commit these to you. We ask you just help them to get the last-minute stuff done this week, get out of the apartment in time, get on the road, give them safety as they travel, and help them to get settled in Florida. Give them a good church soon, quickly, where they can fellowship, they can grow, they can be a part of it. We commit them to you. We love them. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, say goodbye to them. All right? Quite honestly, I'm happy to be here today. I was flying home from Dallas yesterday. Betty and I went down for four days for a quick trip home. Flying home from Dallas yesterday, and one particular airline that will remain nameless canceled our flight because of weather here, which we didn't see any and, and all. And so they said we couldn't get home till Tuesday. So anyway, we're here. Thank God for Delta. I will mention their name, all right? And so we got in about 2.20 this morning. And we are here today 
to preach it. We've been talking about the church for quite a while, and um, since CF is with us and the focus of their ministry is evangelism this week, we're going to take the larger mission of the church, which is to make disciples out of Matthew 28, and we're going to focus on that aspect of discipleship, which is evangelism here today. And in John 4, we come into this story that the whole book opens up kind of in, in verse 5 with Jesus and the woman, the, Samaritan, the woman at the well, basically. And so here we are, we have this situation where this woman has come down to the well and Christ has stopped there to rest while his disciples have gone in to get food. And she comes out and she asks Christ for a drink and he, he begins to just talk to her in the way that Jesus does. And what he does is he essentially shares her story with her. She didn't see it coming. He was just a guy sitting by the well who asked for a drink. And in the ensuing moments, however long it may have been, he goes through there and he talks about a, a water that uh, quenches the thirst forever that he called living water. And, and he talks to her about her former husbands. And he, and he, he just tells her about herself. And she counters all that with some, a little bit of theology. And he counters it with truth. And then she kind of realizes that this is the Messiah. Verse 26, I am who I who speak to you am he, he says. And at this point, she realizes that she's come to find the Messiah. This story begins to close as the disciples arrive back and they say, here, you should have something to eat, verse 31. And he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Another statement for the disciples are like, I don't know what he's saying right now. What is he talking about? And he begins to share with them. In verse 34, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then in verse 35, he says, this is our text really for this morning. Do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, and they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, and he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. And I say to you, and I, and I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Well, this story has several principles in it that we would be very applicable to this week of ministry that you guys are going to have, as well as to the ministry that each of us have in our lives, and hopefully can help us see some of these random interactions we have with people for having purpose in them. We're going to be talking about farming this morning, so Doug, if I say anything wrong, just shake your head and be kind to me. You can correct me later, okay? He's the only farmer in the building that I know of. There are several principles we can draw out of here. And let's, first of all, this, this principle, they call it in my Bible, in American Standard, they call sow, S-O-W. And sowing is the, is the spreading of seed. That might make sense. You might be familiar with that. It's the spreading of the seed. It's putting the seed in the ground in the hopes of that it was going to grow up and it's going to produce fruit of some sort or another. And then reaping or harvesting is just that effort of once that plant has grown up and there are green beans on it, or berries on it, or cotton on it, or soybeans on it, or corn on that plant, that the, the reaping or the sowing is the going in and removing the fruit from that plant. And here Christ is talking about reaping and sowing, putting down seed, taking fruit out. But there's other parts of this equation that he does not mention, but they are there even so. For instance, the seed is not going to go into the ground unless the soil has been disturbed. They didn't go out and just randomly throw out seed onto bare ground. 
especially now you see furrows, you see rows. And those rows have to be created. That soil has to be disturbed. It has to be broken up and create a place for that seed to go into the ground. That seed has to be sown the right depth with the right amount of water at the right time in the right growing season. And over the next several months, it needs water. It needs to be weeded because those weeds that come into the crop, they fight the plants for nutrition and for water. And in due time, that fruit ripens, and it must be gathered at the right time because you don't want it to spoil on the plant, nor do you want to take it before it's fully ripe. And so why is it, do you think, that after just spending some time with a woman at a well, Jesus starts talking about agricultural principles? I believe it's because the principles of agriculture, of sowing and reaping, apply to evangelism in our interactions with other people. There is a story that I have loved for many, many years now. It's the story of a young woman named Alma who lived in London but had friends here in the United States. Her story starts on September 13th. Note the date, 1999. September 1999. She came here to visit a friend in the United States And over the course of that friendship, and over the course of that visit, rather, what she came to learn was that her friend here in the United States had trusted Christ. She shares in her testimony that when she arrived, she noticed that there was something different, and she couldn't figure out why immediately. And after just the first little bit of time of catching up with each other and all the excitement had died down, the question came up, what's going on with you? And her girlfriend here in the United States said, it's because I have believed in God. I have placed my faith in Christ. Alma says, I went silent. And then I heard something. She says, I heard, when I heard those words, I am a follower of Christ, she says, my jaw literally dropped. And it seemed like it was there for minutes. But what happened was, secretly, she says, Though I felt jealous, I wanted that same inner peace that she seemed to have. The story goes on for two pages. And what happened in the course of that relationship was she kept seeing things. Things kept happening along the way. One morning she woke up and passed by the bedroom and saw her girlfriend reading her Bible. And she became curious and she asked what she was reading and if she could read it. And she read it and she says, I remember how it bothered me for most of the rest of the day what she had read, because I didn't have it. I didn't understand it. She says, I met other Christian people, her mom and her dad, her in-laws, her brother and sister-in-law. And throughout my two-week visit, I had no idea how God was really surrounding me. But as I returned to London, my mind was full of many thoughts about my visit to the States. I returned feeling lost because I knew that I had a longing to be in America, but it was because something, but it wasn't something I could explain to anyone. And as time passed by, I realized my life changed, mainly because of my outlook had changed toward everything. During, my, during this time, I never knew that God was pursuing me. I would be sitting on the bus, and somehow there would be a lady sitting next to me across the aisle reading her Bible. And I thought that was strange, that she was following me, and that God had placed her there. So finally, I came back in February of 2000. 
from September of 2000 for a birthday party. And she says, I still saw these same people and I observed how much God was really working in their lives. She went back home to London and she couldn't rid herself of the thoughts, of the questions, of this emptiness that she felt like she had in her life. So she called back and says, can I come back for three months and stay? And she said, my mom said as I left, I bet you'll come back as a Christian. This was September of 2000 now. A year later, she leaves to come back to the States to visit. And I really felt that I reached a point in my life where I just felt lost and empty, and I thought the answer lied in, in the States with my friends. And I felt like something was pushing me along, she says. Spending time with my friend, I got started asking questions about God and what it meant to her and why she believed it. And I didn't realize that I was slowly, slowly changing. She goes on to talk about friends of her girlfriend and the way that they expressed their faith and the way that they lived out their faith. And then I attended a Bible study one time and sat in and listened. And then finally, she decided she would go to church and just see what it was about. She goes on to share her story and that how God's timing was perfect and how finally one day said they said to them, what are you thinking about everything you're hearing. And she shared how she placed her faith in Christ, finally. That story is a great story because it very much demonstrates the exact principles of this passage. The soil in her life had been stirred up by watching a friend's life be different. The seeds of the gospel had been planted in her life when she read the passage in John and other passages as well. So from September of 1999 through November of 2000, the weeds of untruth, all the things that she had learned for years and years before, the weeds in her life were pulled up. And they were taken away. And the seeds of the gospel were being watered and being fertilized. Until finally in November of 2000, approximately 14 months later, the fruit was ready for the harvest. There were so many people involved in her life in that time. And so the concept of the sower and the, reaper and the reaper and the different people being involved all apply. I was just in Texas, like I said, and my, we were visiting with a friend of mine who lives on a ranch of about 5,500 acres, and he was taking us for a ride through the ranch, and he pointed to a grove of trees. It was a long, long grove of trees, and he commented that those trees had been there for decades. They were there before he got there in 1991. And there were pecan trees. And he says, every year someone comes in and they harvest the pecans out of those trees. He didn't plant those trees. Someone else sowed that seed. And then someone else came in and reaped the fruit of those trees. When I was a kid, same friend, Greg, we went down to South Texas and we went to harvest cotton. We didn't sow the cotton seed. We didn't tend to the cotton that entire season. We showed up when it was time to harvest the cotton. And that's all our job was, to harvest the cotton. That was our job. We were reapers of that crop. This week, you CEF people, some of us crossing people, we will be sowing seeds. Some people will never, ever have heard of Jesus. Jesus. And you will plant the seed in their life. 
This week, some of you will be nourishing seed that's been sown by someone else other than yourself. Perhaps it's a kid that comes back to a club this year, and they came last year for the very first time, and they heard about Jesus for the very first time, and they took home the coloring pages or the little storybooks or whatever it may be in the crafts, and those things have been lying around their house, reinforcing the message of Jesus that was shared with them a year ago. And all for the past year, God has been using someone else to nourish that seed, to be tending that seed, to be taking out weeds, to be fertilizing that seed, to be watering that seed, so that perhaps, just maybe, this week might be the week that the fruit of salvation is ripe for harvest. This week, you'll be the harvester, perhaps, gathering fruit that you didn't work for. You didn't sow the seed, you didn't nourish it, but that life is ready now to give fruit to salvation. You never know the season a person is in. There's going to be children walking in the door of the, or the park or wherever you may be, whether it's a church or a front yard or a park corner or whatever it may be where you're going to be. There'll be, church, there'll be children walking in, and you do not know what season they're in. That's the nice thing about the wheat or the soybeans that you might see on farms around here. You have a sense by the height, by the, the look of the fruit on the plant, about where it's at in its season. But you don't have that in the life of people. Because in the life of people, they walk in and you don't know where they are. You're not sure whether they've never heard the gospel or they've heard it and they're still asking questions or whether they heard it and they're like going, I really need to do this. You don't know where they're at in that process at all. And so it would be that perhaps it was just like the lady reading the Bible on the bus. That lady was just being faithful that day. So when you don't know where a plant is in the season, when you don't know where, how close it is to being harvested, if you don't know where a child is in their spiritual journey, then the thing for you to do is just be faithful. Last week, I came by here on Wednesday night, I think it was, or Tuesday night. And I was talking with some of the guys who were doing setup and all. And there was one of the books they had on the table here. It was called The Story. Is that right? Is that right? It's what's called the little white book. And I picked one up to read it. And on the airplane on the way down to Texas, there was a girl sitting next to me. And I made a comment to her about I promised not to sleep and snore on her. And she looked at me. And then she just turned away. And I thought, that didn't go over well. And so I thought that was a closed door, and I just went ahead, and I was doing my reading. I brought reading and work to do. I was doing all that on the plane. As we landed, I thought, let's try again. So I said, are you coming home or are you going? And she says, I'm coming home. I live in Colleen. And I said, oh, that's cool. That's kind of all she had to say again. So I thought, okay, you're really going right. You're doing great, Tim. And then I was thinking, like, well, let's, what are we going to do here? We're kind of sitting on the tarmac, sweating together. What are we going to do now? And so I just pulled out my book and the book that I'd taken off the table here that I took without permission, and I was reading it, and then I just had that, what is it? That still, small voice. Give it to her. And I thought, well, she's not going to like me any less if I give it to her. <laughs> so I sat there for a minute. Give it to her. 
Okay? What do I say? I know you don't like me, but here's a book. <laughs> Actually, I'll be honest with you. She slept the entire way. <laughs> you know? So I just said, you know what? I just picked up this book the other day, and I was going to read it. And I haven't had a chance to read it, but I just thought you might like it. Would you like it? I handed it to her. And she took it and said, yeah, thanks. Stuffed in her bag. About that time, you know, the herd starts moving through. She got up and left. I would say that's an example. And I'm not saying that because I'm faithful all the time. It was one of those good times I was faithful. But I would say that I have no idea where she is at in the process. I have no idea whether she had ever heard the name of Christ ever before. I had no idea whether she was even saved. But I felt like I was called to be faithful to a moment and to give her the book. And so I did. I was a part of her process in a way that I don't know. And so just like on my friend's ranch, there are pecan trees. He doesn't know who planted them. He has no idea where they came from. And yet every year, he gets, to sow the, he gets to reap the fruit of that. We don't know what part of the process we play in the lives of people who are coming to Christ. But we are called to be faithful to that moment, whatever it may be. And we're called to do whatever it may be. And so just like the story of the hospital visit, walking, what's on your shirt, it's just a verse. I got other things to do. No, it was Here is an opportunity. What is God doing? Stop. Engage. And in engaging that little tiny opportunity, what it seemed like a little tiny, just a question, other things unfolded from it to the sharing of the gospel to her, to ministering to someone who just suffered great loss. And who knows where that young couple was in the process? Who knows whether they had ever heard the gospel before. They knew that EFH or EPH 289 looked like a Bible verse, I guess. They knew enough to ask that. So the dude said, is that a verse on your shirt? He knew that much. Obviously, he didn't know what it said. And so that group of students stepped into that opportunity and was faithful to that moment. And today, the only one who knows the status of that young couple spiritually is the Lord of the harvest, is the Lord himself. But someday, let's just say, let's just say someday, that young couple will be, well, we can, I know people in this room that this happened to. Someday that young couple will be channel surfing and they'll come across a song that they stop for and the song is about Jesus and they go, what station is this? They call it Caleb. I'll listen to it a little bit more. And then over the course of days and weeks, they keep listening to it, and they keep listening to the lives of people who've been changed by Jesus. And then they go, I I remember what happened to me on the street in Philadelphia that time when those people came and prayed with us in the hospital room and, and this station and this message and this guy, Jesus. I just need to do this right now. We don't know what happened with that couple. We entrust these people that we share Christ with to the Lord of the harvest, and then he places songs, people, TV, who knows what in their life as he continues to draw men, women, and children to himself to that place and that time when he confronts them and says, who am I in your life and what will you do with Jesus? Sometimes we go into a situation 
and we say, did I do any good? Was that worthwhile? I kind of fumbled through the gospel every single day. I made a different mistake every day when I tried to show the gospel. I never once got that missionary story right, whatever the case may be. God is not asking for our perfection. God is not asking for us to memorize all the verses and know them well. He's asking us to step into those opportunities the very best of our ability and talk about Jesus honestly, authentically, and then he'll do the work from there. This week, all of you in this room, but especially those blue shirt people, are being called to step into opportunities and to talk about Jesus. Not knowing whether it's going to be, not knowing whether someone's going to come to Christ for that, but that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to step in and be faithful and allow God to draw that person to himself in his own time. Only he knows the season, and only he knows the day and time that they'll come to Christ. That is what we are called to. That's why Christ talks about agriculture, because his, the way the Spirit works in his life and the way that he uses his people is just like that. You might be ripping, reaping the harvest of salvation in someone's life that you didn't, you've never done anything before, and meanwhile, you might be sowing the seeds for someone in another day that they might see that person come to Christ. We don't know what season these people are in, but we do know we're called to faithfulness with every opportunity we come across. What I want to do right now is I want to close praying that you will be faithful, that you will be bold with those opportunities this week, that you will entrust the Lord of the harvest with the work of the harvest, and that you would just be faithful. So let's pray. Father, today we count you as being the Lord of the harvest. Today we look to you as being the one who knows the heart condition of every single man, woman, and child. And you know the great need of their heart. And you know where they are at spiritually and the questions that they're looking to have answered and the great needs of their life. You know those things. And you've chosen to take students and adults, overall people, who are various degrees of selfish and afraid and broken. And you said, I will take those who are selfish, and I will take those who are afraid, and I will take those who are broken, and I'll make them the exact thing that I'm going to use to tell them about Jesus. This week, we present ourselves to you as selfish, broken, afraid people and ask that you would use us. Even Paul prayed for boldness. We pray for boldness today. As much as we pray for the fruit of salvation in the lives of people, we pray for faithfulness to be true to every opportunity that comes across. And we'll leave the results to you. And we'll gauge ourselves by our faithfulness to the opportunities you give us. So we commit the ministry of the block party today. We commit the ministry of of all the backyard clubs and the Bible clubs that are going to happen this week to the day club that's going to happen this summer and the the ministry in Cleveland and the ministry everywhere else to summer camp here at Crossing and to the soccer club in July. We commit them to you because they are the handiwork of you and the handiwork of you and your people. And in those relationships, 
And in those moments of faithfulness, as clumsy as they are, may you receive glory and honor and praise. May we make much of you in our own clumsy little ways and just say, I don't know how to tell you, but Jesus has changed my life. I wish I could explain it better, but he's changed my life. May that be our message this summer and every day. And in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you.